What is up? Happy Tuesday, December 1st. I hope you enjoy my holiday sweater for the viewing audience. Giants are in first place, Matt. The only chance I could possibly get to wear this uh, sweater, maybe we'll see about the rest of the month. But I got another one on tap just in case. So, you know, in case I blew my load a little early here, we're ready to go. But that's besides the point. This is Football Life Presents the Audible. I am your host, Randy I'm joined by my friend, Matt Bushnell. Matt, how's it going? I'll tell you what, um, it's not going better than your Christmas sweater you got going on there, my friend. <laughs> wow, that thing is, it's bright, it's loud, and as Henry said in the comment section, that sweater is as ugly as the NFC East. Yes, and uh, as ugly as beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and no, I'm kidding, the NFC East is awful, but like I said, we're in first place. I'm going to rock it. I'm in the holiday spirit. It's December. It's my favorite month. It's the holiday month. It's my birthday month. A lot of things going right. I mean, the year is coming to an end, Matt. I think we can agree that is a good thing. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, uh, I'm excited to talk some football because I'm not sure how much longer we'll have football. <laughs> so I want to get into this and just break down each and every game from week 12 because we had some good games. We had some terrible games. Uh, and I'm just happy to still have football while we still have football because I still have that question. We'll get to all of the uh, – headlines off the field once we get through all of the games that happened on the field and we're going to start off primetime Monday night football the Seattle Seahawks traveling to Philadelphia and just taking care of the Eagles and the NFC East just continues to be dreadful on primetime I have no idea why how they end up there why they end up there but nonetheless this game Philly still covers 23 to 17 but a Hail Mary late followed by a two-point conversion is why that if you bet Seattle plus seven and a half like I did, you were pretty upset when you woke up last night. Matt, I didn't get to watch much of this game. What did you see? Well, I saw Jim Schwartz um, tell DK Metcalf before the game that he coached Megatron and he was no Megatron. And then DK Metcalf goes off for 10 and 177 on their ass. Um, really, the game felt further than the score would indicate Seattle has some issues, but I'll say this, the addition of Carlos Dunlap is so noticeable on this defense that it instantly gives them some credibility, some form of pass rush. We talked about it. Can they get a pass rush? Dunlap has done that. Wentz looks like garbage. It's to the point where you have to start looking at other quarterbacks and we're starting to see this, scary trend from Andy Reid's disciples. Doug Peterson had that magical season when he won the Super Bowl in Philly. And now it's like each year it's getting worse and worse and worse. Nagy won coach of the year in 2018 and it's gotten worse and worse and worse. Um, Frank Reich may be the best of the bunch with Indianapolis, but Indy, eh, you know, didn't look all that great. So I think the Giants, I'm sorry, not the Giants, not the first place New York football Giants, but I think we're starting to see Philly showing cracks in their stability in this organization. They had Jalen Hurts take those practice reps with the first team, half of them, to only play two snaps. A lot of this isn't making sense, and you see what good leadership does in an organization like Seattle. So the score felt the score told you it was close. The game didn't feel close. Not at all. And when you watch Philly, uh, it seems to me that Carson Wentz has regressed big time. It's year five for him now. You want to see some improvements, but he's also crumbling along with the uh, uh, 
the talent around him, I would say. I mean, the, the offensive line is banged up and it's not good. And I just want to add some context to this. Carson Wentz has been sacked 46 times so far this year. Actually, more than that. Um, he, this is a 46 times through week through 11 games, which actually, yeah, they have played 11 games. So, yeah, that is accurate. 46 times now. That's on pace to have the second most sacks by a quarterback ever with 67. Can you tell me the all-time sack recipient, Matt, and when it was? It had to be David Carr with the Houston Texans in mm-hmm. that expansion season. Oh, God, what was it, 2000, 2001? 2002, my friend. Your brain is very, very good working there. And he had he was sacked 76 times, and everyone remembers how often he got hit, and Wentz is still right there. So, uh, obviously, he's regressed, but I'm not pinning it all on him. He's not been good by any means, and I think that's the, why the hesitation with Hurts is there. You're not putting him in a su- situation to succeed when you get hit as much as Wentz does, but I also don't think he helps his offensive line. He doesn't get rid of the ball quickly enough. They don't draw plays to help them uh, kind of hide some of their weaknesses, and that's a big criticism of the coaching staff um so to me this is a big Carson Lynch issue and a coaching issue along with a offensive line problem and Philly's defense is good and I feel bad about the defense because it is talented and Slay despite getting absolutely toasted by your boy DK Metcalf which I'll talk about in a second um you know the front seven is good they they don't ever really get blown out that much and they're in every game because of how talented their defense is but their offense is just a mess right now um once 25 of 45 215 yards two touchdowns and a pick um did not look very good in this game every week he like just looks uncomfortable and that's not a good sign to me um and, you know, they only had 70 yards on the ground. Wentz leading that with 42 yards rushing. Um, but I want to talk about the Seahawks because I predicted Russell Wilson was going to win MVP before the season. I don't know, not looking great for that right now. But he had a good game, 22 of 31, 230 yards, a touchdown, no turnovers, which is good. Uh, Carlos Hyde played decent in his return. But this game, your boy, DK Metcalf, compared to Megatron, compared to Terrell Owens, the guy is just a physical freak and had a game. 10 catches for 177 yards on 13 targets. I mean, the guy just gets better and better every week, it seems. Yeah, and you could see the room for improvement. He dropped a touchdown pass in the end zone. I kind of question if he would have been in bounds anyway, if he would have caught mm-hmm. it from where his foot placement was at and where his momentum was taking him. But Still, you saw him abuse an all-pro cornerback. Darius Slay is no scrub out there. Like, you can feel pretty good if you line him up man-on-man on somebody. So the fact that he did that to that guy, it just... Once DK Metcalf understands all the intricacies about playing the wide receiver position, it is going to be really scary to how high that ceiling is and then really you're in a situation where you are going to have to double and triple team him every play and then Tyler Lockett should be the beneficiary here getting a lot more looks so you you, single coverage DK is probably going to go in the majority of the time but you, you really have to be impressed with what DK Metcalf is doing yeah, if he cleans up some of those red zone drops because he had, has had a few of them already this year, then the sky's the limit for DK Metcalf. He could be, you know, in three years, we could be looking at him as the best receiver in the league. Um, but I want to talk about the Seahawks as a whole here quick before we move on. The NFC feels pretty wide open. And now that Seattle is uh, eight and three, um, they're in first place in the division. Um I know the Saints are nine and two, I think, but without Breeze, you know, you have the Taysom Hill aspect of that. Of all the teams in the NFC, who are you most confident in? Is it Seattle? Man, it, it varies because I think each team 
can exploit another team's weaknesses. So I, I do think Seattle's probably, you know, the cream of the crop, you know, the cream of the cream, you know, it's, it's rising to the top. I, I don't like New Orleans because I think they have gotten fat off of a very easy schedule. Um, they played some teams that, you know, you really don't have to worry about. Um, so then I take a look at the Packers and I, we're going to touch on them in a minute, but I kind of have like a little dark horse here. And I, I know, you know, this is unlikely, but if, if I was the NFC, you know, let's, let's throw all the teams in the NFC out there, you know, who are probably going to make the playoffs. I, I would be really scared of the 49ers squeaking in because that is not a team that I would want to play in the first round. Granted, they have a ton of injuries, but if they can get healthy, you know, healthy enough, you know, with their, with Raheem Morstead coming back and that crew, they can beat the Rams hands down easily. I think they can beat Seattle. I think they can beat Arizona. I think this team is the prototype to beat the Packers. Now, I don't think they're going to go to the Super Bowl this year. I just don't think they have what it takes to get there. But in one game, they can knock off the one seed. That's how kind of jam-packed this NFC is. Yeah, the Niners, what's impressive to me is the depth. Uh, they've put a nice, they put together a really nice roster. And even if, with the injuries, they're still very competitive in, in most of their games besides one. I guess the Seattle game is the one that comes to mind. Um, but, you know, no Jimmy G. Uh, Mullins, we'll, we'll talk about that game later. But, uh, yeah, the, the Niners roster has never been the problem. It's usually the quarterback situation. And Shanahan's done a great job with them this year for sure. Uh, I don't think – you know, the Niners are currently in last place in the division. It's going to be a long haul for them even to make the playoffs this year. And it's not really their fault. It is a lot of injuries. Um, but to me, uh, Seahawks, I trust because I trust Russell Wilson. I think their defense is improving with Dunlap and now they have the Jamal Adams back. Uh, I still think their defense is the weakness. And if Russell Wilson has one of those games where he has a turnover or two, they can be had. Uh, I was really all in on the Buccaneers before the season started. We've seen that they can be a soft football team and they can get abused by better football teams. Um, to me, and I think, I don't know you know, what it is, but I think the team in the NFC that I trust the most is the team we're going to talk about now. And that, my folks, is called a transition. You are welcome. Take notes. Uh, on Sunday night football, the Green Bay Packers took it to your Chicago Bears, Matt, and Aaron Rodgers looks incredible, and he had such a bad year last year, all things considered, and they still went 13-3. They then, to me, with a Rodgers playing well, with we eventually look at this running game going, and their defense, it's not great, but it's fine. Um, I really like their corners. Um, their linebacking core, I think Mrs. Blake Martinez, who's played really well for the Giants this year, but overall, I think I trust the Packers, and I can't tell you why, other than this seems like LaFleur and Rodgers are clicking. Well, I mean, if, if a bad year is 27 touchdowns and four interceptions, I will take that for a Chicago Bears quarterback in a fucking heartbeat. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the bar that Aaron Rodgers has set for himself. You know, 27 and four, you're garbage, Rodgers. But, man, um, yeah, the, the Packers offensively, they have if, – if you don't look at Devontae Adams as – one of the best three wide receivers in the NFL. I, I don't know what to tell you because really it's like DeAndre Hopkins and Devonte Adams at this point. And then maybe, you know, you look at DK Metcalf and third or, you know, some, yeah, a couple of other guys, I think Julio Jones has fallen off quite a bit, but then, you know, um, 
Scantling and Lazard and St. Brown, what, what they can do to a defense is scary. And then not to mention what you have with Aaron Jones, who can run the rock. I mean, he is a top five running back in today's NFL, hands down. I don't care what anyone says. Top five may not be reflected in the stats, although it should be. And then let's talk about that offensive line. That offensive line is pretty damn good. Um, I, I'm, You know, the Bears didn't have Akeem Hicks. On Sunday night, no excuse. You still got Cleo Mack. You still got Robert Quinn. You still got Blau Nichols. You still got Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan out there. So, you know, I, the Bears are not getting a pass from me. You are supposed to be this big, bad defense. And basically, you wanted no peace. That team, as the first series, Randy, I watched that first series with that defense. All right, man, it's going to be an ugly-ass game because they wanted no piece of Aaron Jones. They weren't getting any penetration and the Packers did whatever the hell they wanted to them. And they did that for the entire game. You know, I don't, the Packers first punt came in sometime in the mid third quarter. So the bears couldn't even get a a three and out. So overall, man, you take a look at Aaron Rodgers this year. If he's not in your top two, you know, or your leading MVP candidate right now, I seriously got to question your ballot. Yeah, uh, you know, he was 21 of 29, 211 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. I mean, that's a classic Rodgers efficient line there. Um, and, the, and the Packers get the job done on the ground. They have 39 carries as a team for 182 yards, a touchdown. Aaron Jones, 17 for 90. Uh, Jamal Williams, 17 of 73. The Bears not offering a ton of resistance. Like you said, Noah Keem Hicks, he probably fixed a lot of those problems, but still. Uh, and Nagy, uh, I'll just have you comment on this. Nagy kind of called the team out on it. You know, he said, you know, you don't have any pride. You don't, you didn't come out and play hard. Um, but to me, I, I don't care if you don't have your best player, it's up to the coaches to make you prepared. So you're confident to come out and play well and be ready to play. I know that the players have to be motivated to play themselves, but the coaches have to put them in a position to succeed. And it feels like to me that uh, Matt Nagy didn't do that. So, uh, you know, did you see what Nagy said? And, you know, what do you have to say about it? Yeah, I saw what he said, and he walked it back a little bit as he continued talking. I, I mean, personally, I don't disagree with him, with the comments. There's a lot of things I do not like what I'm seeing from Matt Nagy offensively. The offensive scheme, Matt Nagy, I hate. I, I want to get rid of that Matt Nagy, but I'm okay keeping the head coach, Matt Nagy. I think Matt Nagy is a really good head coach, terrible offensive mind. So then let's take a look at the totality of all this you know, the pride aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, at some point you got to show up and play football. I, the coach can give you the game plan. You can have all this stuff, but at some point you, you, you know, you literally have to man up and play the sport. You have to initiate contact. This isn't flag football. This isn't soccer. I, you know, this isn't basketball or baseball. This is football. It's a contact sport, full contact. And if you don't want a piece of that, then you shouldn't be out there. And at no point, And I'm going to call this guy out right now, Eddie fucking Jackson, the crap that I saw. And you know what? Once I watch the game tape, I'm sure I'm going to be even more angry. You can't be this all pro safety that you want to go spouting about. And even this defense, you can't be this all big, bad defense. And then just try to strip the ball as Aaron Jones is running into the fucking end zone, tackle him tackle the guy then if you want to go in there and pile on him and try to strip the football do it then but this shit this arm tackle bull crap that i'm seeing from eddie jackson is completely ridiculous and bullshit you are a safety you know i expect that from your cornerbacks kyle fuller 
a lot of fucking arm tackles. This shit has to stop. And it comes from within. It comes from within the players. If you don't have it, you know what? That tells me a lot about you as a player, as opposed to what it tells me about the coaching staff. Because you're there. The scheme's there. Not much has changed from this defense. And if you can't perform because Akeem Hicks is out, and you're saying, well, you know what? Aaron Jones is five yards downfield. I'm the safety. I'm not supposed to be doing that shit. No, 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 no. You come up and you make a stick on his ass. And the shit that I saw, Nagy was completely in the right. I saw a gutless, spineless defense that once they heard Akeem Hicks ain't playing, they just pitched up their, picked up their tents and got the fuck out of Dodge and let the Packers do whatever the hell they wanted to them. You know, the Bears defense, we have gave a lot of credit to all year. And we said it was one of the best defenses in the NFL. And it was going to be the reason why the Bears were successful. And the Bears uh, were once a five and one football team or now five and six football team. Uh, The defense now feels like that they have given up because of how bad the offense is. Uh, And I think that's a real thing. I think they have this in their back of their mind that it does not matter. As long as they give up a single touchdown or, you know, 10 points, the offense is not going to be able to get the job done. This game was 41 to 25. The Bears scored 15 points in garbage time in the fourth quarter. This game was not close. And Mitch Trubisky came back and he was not particularly good. He had three turnovers. Uh, I think, you know, he had some numbers at the end of this game, but, you know, when I think of the bears, I think they have to keep going with Mitch because at least he offers some sort of mobility that Nick Foles did not offer, especially with how bad your offensive line is. David Montgomery had a good game, but most of that came from a 57 yard run. The bears offense to me is why the, your defense is in the position that it's in. And I'm not the bears fan here. What do you think? I, I feel like you kind of agree with that, but also like, I'm surprised they weren't like rejuvenated. Like, Hey, maybe Mitch could give us a spark unless they've completely given up on Mitch as well. To, to me, if you've given up on Mitch and this is your performance, I mean, then hand in your paycheck because yeah. I don't give a damn what's going on with your offense. You still get paid to do a job. The Bears offense didn't lose them this game by any stretch of the imagination. Let's go over a couple of things with Mitch. That first uh, interception, you know, they called it in the huddle. It, they were going to Mooney no matter what. Now, you know, Bill Lazor told them that's our shot. So that's what Mitch did. But, you know, Mitch was going to throw it to him anyway at that point from what it looked like. Then on the fumble that got returned for a touchdown, it should have been two penalties on that play for a face mask on Mitch. They jerked his head and then they came around and as his head was being torn off his body, punched out the football. So those were two things right there that I look at and like, okay, you know what? I, I, I Mitch can't fumble there. But really, the refs have to do their job. If that was Aaron Rodgers, six flags would have been flying on that play. So it just is what it is. But you're, you're Mitch Trubisky, so you're not going to get that call. This offense, at this point, you, you have to stick with Mitch. I, I don't think you can go back to Foles because it's not – there's nothing here for this season. You're not going to be able to generate enough points with that offensive line, who played okay last, or Sunday night. They didn't play bad. I thought the offensive line – for their limitations played about as okay as they could play. So then we take a look at the other aspects of this team, wide receiver, you know, it's just let Mitch roll out. He's, you know, I I think he's still hesitant to get hit because even on that play where it's busted and he's rolling out to his right and he runs out of bounds for a three yard loss. That's the shit 
that got him benched in reality because you're already outside the pocket. Nothing's there. Throw that shit out of bounds. And I'm gonna point I'm gonna point out to this part as well. When you look at Patrick Mahomes, he was getting wrapped up. It was gonna be a sack for a loss of like seven yards. What does he do? He puts in his other arm and he flings it to a guy's feet that's right in the picture, and he avoids the sack, incomplete pass, third down and manageable for them. While I have to watch this quarterback run out of bounds for th- for a three-yard loss. It's like, he's football stupid. Th- that's the problem with Mitch Trubisky. He is football stupid. So we have to deal with this shit because they drafted the wrong quarterback, and I'm not talking about Mahomes. Watson should have been the guy here. You know, yep. that, 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 that should have been the pick. But, man, there's no hope offensively for you. But, yeah, roll with Mitch. See what you can get out of the year. Maybe you pick up a couple more wins. Obviously, I think they need to lose the rest of their games so they can move up in the draft position. But this is a good situation offensively. I mean, you're talking about a complete teardown. Allen Robinson ain't staying. So, for us Bear fans, I'm just going to let you know, Allen Robinson will not be a Bear in 2021. He's going to look good uh, playing at MetLife Stadium uh, for the New York Giants. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I kind of think, just to wrap a bow on this conversation that we started coming into this, that, you know, if the Packers don't have a fumble in overtime from Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who is clearly being punished because he did not have a single catch in this game or a target, uh, and they blew that game against the Colts, you know, the Packers would be 9-2, and two and they'd have home field advantage, and all the games come into Lambeau. Uh, I think that, you know – we might be having a different conversation here. Obviously we lost the game, so you can't go back and change that. But the Saints, especially if they have to start Taysom Hill all playoffs, give me the Packers, man. They're the team I trust the most in the NFC right now. So, uh, yeah. Okay. The first team, you know, the first seed, getting that first buy is going to be huge, you yeah. know. And I, I hope Breeze comes back if you're the Saints, obviously. Yeah, a lot of broken ribs. <laughs> That's sketchy. <laughs> Yes, I don't. Uh, I'm not. I'm not confident about that. We've spoken about this before. All right. So those are the two primetime games that happens in the last two days. We had some not so exciting games on Thanksgiving, Matt. Why are you going to start it on the first one? Yeah, and you know what? I actually wanted to talk about this one because we kind of touched on it before, Randy, about um, our, our guy, my guy, who I really like, Deshaun Watson, who should have been a Chicago Bear. They put a beat down on Detroit in a hurry. You know, Leon's, our, our guy, Leon Tompkins, his Detroit Lions, his top 10 offense. Yikes. It, yeah, <laughs> yikes is the appropriate answer here because this was ugly quickly. Um, but they did, they were up, you know, they were up seven to nothing on Houston. And then Houston goes on a run where, you know, they trade touchdowns. But the big thing here is, I'm going to point to it, Deshaun Watson has evolved to that next step as the quarterback. As the quarterback, you see it. The lights clicking on. He has become a better quarterback. Maybe it's because DeAndre Hopkins isn't there anymore, and he's not solely focusing on him. I don't know what it is, but Watson is so efficient. Seventeen of twenty-five, three hundred and eighteen yards, and four touchdowns. And in no small part, Will Fuller six catches, one hundred and seventy-one yards, and two touchdowns. If you had him on your fantasy team, he put up a monster game for you. Duke Johnson had three receptions for forty-three yards and a touchdown. Um, also nine carries for thirty-seven yards. On the flip side, 
You take it to Lions, Matthew Stafford, 28 of 42, 295 yards, one touchdown, one pick. You feel like Stafford's regressing. Adrian Peterson, 15 carries, 55 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, really, one of their bright spots on this team is TJ Hawkinson. I really like the big body tight end, five catches for 89 yards. I don't feel like he's like that George Kittle, Travis Kelsey guy, but probably more like a Kyle Rudolph type of tight end, which is really good. You can't go wrong with that. But yeah, Houston feels like it's getting better, but it's going to get worse, as we'll talk about later on in the show. Yeah, I like this for Houston. I mean, you can't tank for a draft pick. You don't have a first rounder for two years. So, you know, the Lions will play and try to develop Deshaun Watson and see what you got. Uh, all right, so you get done with the first game on Thanksgiving. You're sitting down. You got some turkey, some mashed potatoes, some gravy, maybe some cranberry sauce, some mac and cheese, whatever it is on your plate. You sit down, and what better gift could you have to watch other than the NFC East? Prime time with your family, quarantine, whatever you're up to. How about some Washington football team at Dallas Cowboys, which I read was the most watched football game of the entire season. So I apologize, America, that you had to watch the NFC East, but it seemed like you kind of enjoyed it because I enjoy when the Cowboys lose too. Despite me predicting the Cowboys would win this game, uh, I'm always in, I always enjoy watching them lose at the end of the day. Uh, this is the second straight game that a, a team scored 41. Uh, uh, the Texans scored 41 points. The Washington football team won this game 41 to 16. And, uh, you know, Dallas did some really dumb stuff in this game to make this happen. Uh, One of the worst fake punts I think I've ever seen. Uh, Andy Dalton not looking too hot. Excuse me. And uh, just not having the greatest game plan to me. I I would have tried to run the ball a little bit more. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. To help out, you know, Andy Dalton, your offensive line's not the greatest, but at least to all have the threat. Like, I I like – Ezekiel Elliott is still, you know – still top five running back, maybe uh, at least top 10. So when I get him involved, uh, Tony Pollard offers a dynamic of the offense that you did not even try to uh, incorporate. They just went up there and chucked it uh, every time. And it ended up being a bad thing for them uh, because Washington, you know, they have a couple playmakers on this team. One of them being a third rounder, Antonio Gibson. Uh, he had 20 carries for 115 yards and three three touchdowns uh, and Alex Smith is the beneficiary of that who did not play great in this game. I would say Alex Smith, 19 to 26, 149 yards, one touchdown and one pick. But every time Alex Smith completes a play pass, I think it's a small miracle. So uh, here we are in 2020. And then Terry McLaurin is the other playmaker that Washington has uh, seven catches for 92 yards, no touchdowns, but the guy gets, gets open and he makes plays for them. Uh, I really like Terry McLaurin and his future in the NFL as, you know, a potentially top 10 wide receiver. He's young. He makes plays. I'm not going to go on and not about this game too much but Zeke had a fumble in this game the Cowboys uh, turned the ball over a little too much and that's how this game happened and the fake punt led to a touchdown obviously and uh you know it's getting late early for Dallas although I still think their schedule is friendly but if I had to bet now and I'm going to change my mind on this again I think Washington wins this division just because uh their schedule is a little bit easier than the Giants and the Giants have a little injury issue that they're dealing with right now so yeah 41 to 16 i hope you guys enjoyed your food and enjoyed a nice turkey day blowout you know and that's the second time this year that mccarthy's ran a really dumbass fake punt like Mm -hmm. it's to the point where it's bad and you know what cowboy fans sorry but mccarthy ain't going anywhere because he signed a Mm -hmm. fat five-year deal so he's going to be in dallas for a few more years poor things Huh. Speaking of coaches that got fired, you know, Atlanta Falcons gave the boot to Dan Quinn earlier this year. 
and Raheem Morris comes in and fills in, and they have been playing very, very inspired football lately. They, in fact, I think they're even on a winning streak. So Atlanta has the Las Vegas Raiders stroll into town Sunday afternoon, and how does Atlanta greet their hosts by a 43-6 to ass whooping? And it was not – I mean, this game was over quickly. It was 16-3 to at halftime, Randy. And then the Falcons said, you know what? We're tired of blowing leads in the fourth quarter. They throw up 27 points in the second half and 13 in the fourth quarter to put the nail in the coffin of the Las Vegas Raiders trip here. Um, Derek Carr played awful football. I mean, I, this is one of the games I watched, and I haven't seen him play this bad all year. We talked. We gave him credit. We cursed. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's our fault. Uh-huh. Twenty-two of thirty-four for two hundred and fifteen yards and a pick. Josh Jacobs was miserable this game. Seven for twenty-seven, but Hunter Renfro seven for seventy-three, and Henry Ruggs the third three for fifty-six, and Nelson Aguilar five for fifty-four. Darren Waller four for twenty-three, and you just you know this offense left you left you wanting more, but. Matt Ryan, 22 of 39 for 185 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Very pedestrian numbers from old Matty Ice. Ito Smith. I, you know, God bless Ito. Haven't heard his name in a while, but 12 for 65 and a touchdown. Brian Hill, 13 for 55. You may ask, where is Todd Gurley? Well, he is hurt. And he was out for this game, so he did not play. Calvin Ridley had six receptions for 50 yards and a touchdown. And really, it was just some really bad turnovers. Um, The Falcons recovered four fumbles. So that will help you score a lot of points. And Falcons win 43-6. to Yeah, John Gruden kicked one of the more pathetic field goals I've ever seen in my life in that game, down 30. (laughs) Don't understand the point of that one. But okay, do your thing. Uh, Do you, John Gruden. All right, moving on now, because, you know, there are many first-place teams in the NFL, um, some good, some decent, some mediocre, some bad. I don't care. The New York football giants are as of now, December 1st of 2020 at 731 Eastern time uh, are in first place in the NFC East after a win uh, over the Cincinnati Bengals, 19 to 17. And it was embarrassingly close because the giants had some brutal special teams gaffes. Uh, they gave up a 104 yard touchdown return or 104 yard kick return for a touchdown. Uh, and Joe judge is a special teams guy. So I have no doubt that he reamed into his guys for this. They had a brutal penalty on a kick return. They had another long kick return, setting up a late touchdown. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you win the game. That's all that matters here. They did not win cleanly, which is the New York Giants way. Uh, Daniel Jones looked okay in spots, but I don't, I don't know. He he had something wrong with him in this game, and I ultimately lost the game with, excuse me, uh, a hamstring issue. Uh, I believe they said it was a strain. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But he was 16 of 27, 213 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, no fumbles, um, which, you know, the no turnovers, I, I counted as a win, sure. But this Bengals defense is not good. I, I kind of wanted to see more from him out of that, uh, to be honest. And um, this this game, to me, and I love this guy, and I said when Saquon Barkley got hurt, this is the guy you want. It's Wayne Gallman, uh, third-round pick from Clemson, 24-94 and a touchdown. The guy, you know, Wayne Train is here. He, he runs hard. The offensive line uh, – plays better he runs through the right holes I think he's effective uh, I think he's given them another option in the office because you know the pat when the passing game's not going you got to run the ball obviously um and Evan Ingram 
he had a brutal fumble in this game because uh, of course he did, but he also had six catches for 129 yards and had a 53 yard reception. That was nice. So decent day for Evan Ingram. Shepard continues to be a solid possession receiver, seven for 64. Um, so to me, this game is the takeaway is it stinks that Daniel Jones got hurt. It really dampers any sort of excitement about the Giants season, which to me, I don't want them to win the division at six and 10. I think that could do more harm than good for the future only because of uh, the potential staying power of the GM. But, you know, you play Brandon Allen and the Bengals, you got to win the game. I would have preferred them to win big. I would prefer it for them to have covered because this team stinks. There's no Joe Burrow. Um, Zach Taylor, not a good football coach. And they were up, you know, 19 to 10 late. Uh, I would have liked to see them put the game away. Um, Bengals had the ball to 50 late, had with a chance to come down and win the game. Giants defense makes the play to recover. They win 19 to 17, four and seven and at tops of the NFC East. Yeah, and just to piggyback off that, I, I saw a stat the other day, Randy. Daniel Jones, on the season, eight touchdowns, nine interceptions. Yeah. I I am floored by that statistic. And don't be surprised if the Bengals end up firing Zach Taylor at the end of this year. There's a lot of smoke that those players hate playing for Zach Taylor. So. Yeah. yeah and I'm sure coaches would line up to Coach Joe Burrow, too. So. Yep, sign me up. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, Randy, our favorite quarterback in the AFC East. Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills beat the Los Angeles. Justin Herberts, 27-17. to 17. I'm kidding, the Los Angeles Chargers. Good coaching by Anthony Lynn. I always believe Anthony Lynn's a really good coach, but this was just an undermanned Los Angeles Chargers team traveling to the East Coast. And a really tough spot here, but Justin Herbert has, I, he may end up with the most passing attempts of a rookie ever because mm-hmm. this is another game where he throws over 50 passes, 31 of 52, 316 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Austin Eckler, 14 catches, I'm sorry, 14 carries for 44 yards. Joshua Kelly, seven for 35 and a touchdown. But if you played Austin Eckler in fantasy football this week, And it was a PPR league. You had a bad time. Yes. (laughs) 11 catches, 85 yards, no touchdowns. Keenan Allen from his robust 16 catch performance not so long ago for only four catches and 40 yards and a touchdown. And to the man that runs the crispest routes in the NFL, he had 10 targets. Not a very good catch percentage there, Keenan. He did catch a Hail Mary that they called a penalty on him for, but that's okay. Yeah, well, you know, he gets half credit for that then. Okay. Then our Buffalo Bills quarterback going against a very depleted Los Angeles Chargers defense. So, the, I mean, this is the MVP we're talking about here, so he obviously had a great day. Yeah, I mean, this is Bills Mafia here. I mean, <laughs> Josh Allen's the man, top five quarterback in the NFL. <sighs> this guy was going to lead a revolution of the position, we were told. <laughs> All right, what'd you do here, Josh? 18 of 24 for 157 yards, a touchdown and an interception. You know who had a higher passer rating than Josh Allen in this game there, uh, Randy? Uh, Was it their backup, Matt Barkley? No, it was their wide receiver, Cole Beasley. Oh, that's worse. (laughs) One for one, 20 yards and a touchdown. So... Maybe they should play Beasley at quarterback. They might win more games. Devin Singletary, 11 for 82, no touchdowns. 
but Josh Allen, nine carries for 32 yards and a touchdown. He may be the best running back in the AFC East. <laughs> he also lost a fumble, right? Just, uh, just for the record. He, well, yeah, he, he lost a fumble and also threw a pick. So before you move on to this game, I just want to ask you a question. Did you see this decision by Lynn late in this game? And the, the running of the football and the, the line was pass protecting? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> what did you make of that? Because that was that seemed like to me uh, something somebody was unprepared, or that was a miscommunication, or something. Yeah. Um, to me, you, you're losing too many of these games, and I'm not sure if it's based on coaching. I think a lot of what we have put on the foot uh, or on the with the blame on the lack of healthy players. But we've seen a lot of teams, a la the Saints, a la the 49ers with all these injuries and still surviving. But, yeah, that the coaching kind of makes you scratch your head sometimes with the Chargers. And that when your offensive line's in pass pro, and obviously it's a clear run play, it's, it's not a good look. So, yeah, Sean McDermott definitely outcoached him. I would take Sean McDermott over um, a lot of coaches right now. But, yeah. I mean, our friend Jacob Anthony Moses in the comments said Anthony Lynn on the hot seat. I, I tend to agree with that. I, I think that they're going to try to get Justin Herbert a better coach. So we'll see how that shakes out. Yeah, it's all uh, geared towards offense. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Moving on now to an unlikely, not maybe not so unlikely MVP uh, candidate here because it's it's Christmas season. It's the time of the year. Everyone's uh, the season of giving. They're happy. They're jolly. Whatever. It's also Tractor Cito season. If you're not familiar with Tractor Cito season, it's the time of year where Derrick Henry just decides. I'm going to just run all over every defense I play against. And Derrick Henry is insane. 27 carries, 178 yards, and three touchdowns. Uh, last week, Matt, we decided to each pick three games to lock up. Two of the three games I picked were blowouts and not even close, and two of the teams I picked to win didn't even score 10 points. So I'm going to shout out to this team that I predicted correctly in the Titans because they lost to the Colts on primetime a couple weeks ago. They came back, and they were angry about it, you could tell. And Derrick Henry specifically, very angry about it. Um, I, even without Taylor Lewan, somehow, he just runs. He's so big. He's so fast, and yet he still remains low enough to the ground and runs physical enough that he uh, is almost not impossible to tackle, but very difficult for people to tackle him, especially at the second level. If he gets past the linebackers, it's not easy for safeties and corners to bring him down. So credit to the Titans for catering their whole offense around him. And it's smart because he has the ability to carry that entire offense. And as they go as, as he goes, and it's a dangerous game to play in 2020, but it works for them because when he plays well, AJ Brown plays well. AJ Brown had four catches for 98 yards and a touchdown. Corey Davis plays well. He had three for 70. And overall, Ryan Tannehill doesn't have to do that much, but Ryan Tannehill still is good enough to make the plays that he needs to. He only had 13 of 22 for 221 yards of that touchdown, but it was good enough because when you ride in the back of Derrick Henry, he could take it to the promised land. Uh, this game wasn't even that close. This was 45 to 26, and the Colts scored 12 points in garbage time. Phillip Rivers, thanks for coming, 24 of 42, 295 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. It feels like to me that they're phasing him out because – Earlier in the season, if you remember, they brought in Jacoby Brissett to throw in a Hail Mary uh, because 
Rivers was incapable of doing it. Now they did the same thing, I think twice in this game, but they also brought in Brissett a few times on QB sneak situations to, because Rivers, you're not going to try. He's so frail now. If you hit him hard enough, you might literally die in the field. So Brissett, I don't love, but they still bring him in for situations that you need someone a little bit more athletic, some guy with a bigger arm. That to me is telling me, all right, Rivers, we're riding out this year with you. But you're donezo. Like you got not a lot left in the tank. And you know, Philip Rivers Hall of Fame career, shout out to you, but you're done. Uh and all one more thing before I, I toss it back to you. T.Y. Hilton had his first touchdown of the season this week. Uh I forgot he was even still in the league. Four for eighty one and a touchdown for TY. So uh yeah, Titans eight and three now and now leading the AFC South. And it's you know, Titans are one of the best teams in the league, and unfortunately they play in a conference that has the other two best teams in the in the NFL. So yeah, I, I think when we take a look at this, um, the Colts had the best defense coming coming into this game, mm-hmm. and Derrick Henry just ran roughshod over them after the Packers, you know, blew a huge lead against the Colts. So things are not looking too good in Colt land. But you know where things are looking up, Randy? The land of ten thousand lakes. <laughs> <laughs> the Kirk Cousins led Minnesota Vikings. 28 to 27 against the Carolina Panthers who keep on finding new ways to blow games. At one point they were up 24 to 10 and Minnesota comes back with 18 points in the fourth quarter to win this game, 28 to 27. This may have been sneak, you know, Minnesota stringing together some pretty exciting games. I know they lost against the Cowboys, but that was still an exciting game. And this was without Adam Thielen who was out with undisclosed without with an undisclosed injury it may have been COVID. it may have been an injury we're never gonna know but teddy bridgewater 19 of 36 for 267 yards a touchdown and an interception i would bet my bottom dollar the panthers are going quarterback in the draft i think they have to at this point mike davis 15 for 55 on the ground robbie anderson of New York Jets fame, Jacob Anthony Moses, our resident Jets fan. We'll get to the Jets in a minute, but man, they could use a guy like Robbie Anderson, four for 94 and a touchdown, Curtis Samuel, five for 72 and DJ Moore, four for 61. So the Minnesota Vikings led by Kirk Cousins, 34 of 45, 307 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, Dalvin Cook, 18 carries, 61 yards. Bazil Johnson, I've never heard of this wide receiver up until Sunday, seven catches for 74 <laughs> yards. Justin Jefferson may be the best rookie wide receiver in the class, seven for 70 and two touchdowns. Kyle Rudolph, seven for 68. Chad Beebe, the Buffalo Mafia, the Bills Mafia, have to, they, they have to know who Chad Beebe is, right? Right, mm-hmm. the son of, of Don Beebe, seven for sixty-three and a touchdown. Really spread the ball around. Also oh, went from goat to goat in this game, and he almost blew this game for them. That's true. Off the punt late. Yeah, and he caught that. Um, he scored the game-winning touchdown in the end zone, right? Yep. Right after that. Yep. So, Don Beebe, be proud of your son, Chad Beebe. Minnesota is now five and six. Mike Zimmer possibly saving his job and want to hand out Emmanuel Davila. Emmanuel asked, you know, he's, he's pointing out there. Um, I want to go back to the Tennessee game real quick. Is Mike Vrabel in the running for coach of the year? 
Yeah, I mean, so I think he's up there for sure. Uh, I go back to Brian Flores and Kevin Stefanski. Uh, I think Mike Tomlin, if the Steelers go 16-0, and it's hard to ignore. Uh, and, you know, you're, to your dark horse team, Kyle Shanahan's done a great job with the 49ers. So uh, I think it's a tight race. But I, they, these Coach of the Year awards seem to be pretty random. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Vrabel, but there's a lot of guys you could put on that list. Maybe Mike Zimmer, if he can bring them back from the dead. Maybe Joe Judge, first place New York Giants. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, maybe not. Anyway, uh, and Justin Jefferson is on pace to have the third most receiving yards per rookie ever. And he, if it wasn't for Justin Herbert, I think would be running away with this Rookie of the Year award. So shout out to Justin Jefferson. Moving on now to the Arizona Cardinals traveling to Foxborough to play the New England Patriots. And I'm just going to read you Cam Newton's stat line here. And I'm going to ask, how the hell did the Patriots win this game? Uh, Cam Newton, 9 of 18 for 84 yards, no touchdowns, two picks, and nine carries for 46 yards and no touchdowns. And the Patriots won. How? (laughs) Arizona's offense was a mess. Yeah, this game was on Arizona. This is a classic snatching uh, victory, uh, snatching defeat from the closet victory game for Arizona. They found so many ways to lose. Uh, This is the worst game I've seen Kyler Murray play so far in his career. He was 23 to 34, 170 yards, no touchdowns and a pick. He only had five carries for 31 rushing yards. I think they're not going to say it, but the shoulder might be a bigger issue than they're leading on. Um, His arm didn't look the greatest. They struggled in the red zone in this game, too. Kenyon Drake, they literally just ran the ball between the tackles of Drake. It seemed like every time they had a chance to score 22 of 78 for two touchdowns for Drake, um, which as a Kyler Murray fantasy owner, uh, very disappointing (laughs) uh, in this game for him. Even DeAndre Hopkins had seven targets with five for 55. Um, And the Cardinals late in the fourth quarter, there'll be four minutes left, missed a field goal to go up 20 to 17. Zane Gonzalez, I mean, he's had some yips before. Uh, This was a very makeable field goal that he had missed. And then Cam, to his credit, decided to put together a drive late in this game to get the, the Patriots a field goal range. And then Nick Folk buries a field goal as time expires. And the Patriots now five and six staying. Uh, I mean, in they're staying literally in the hunt graphic uh, and probably nothing else. Uh, they're probably not in a position to make the playoffs at this point, but I have no idea how New England won this game. It was hideous. This is one of the worst watches of the week. I would say if you didn't if, like the giants and Bengals was pretty bad. This one also was a bad watch and I expected better from these two teams. Well, let's go with the third bad watch. You know, I mean, Jacob, look away. Yeah, Jacob, this one, ain't, this one is not going to be pretty. Oh God, uh, why do we do this to ourselves, Randy? Why do we do the Jets? <laughs> Dolphins beat the Jets twenty to three. Um, I mean, I, I want to give credit to Ryan Fitzpatrick, but I mean. If you beat a blind person in a foot race on an obstacle course, is it really the same thing? Like, is it really a victory? So Fitzpatrick, 24 of 39, 257 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Devontae Parker had a really nice game, eight catches, 119 yards. Mike Gusecki, two catches for 35 and a touchdown. Adam Shaheen, ex-Bears tight end. We couldn't use him, right, guys? One for seven and a touchdown. You had 10 others. How can you choose? Yeah, right. So many tight ends. So going under the Jets, uh, this is just a lot of bad. Sam Darnold, 16 of 27, 197 yards, 
two interceptions. This feels like they're playing out the string. I would be shocked if Sam Darnold is even on this roster in June. I He's got to go there. This is too much scar tissue. Frank Gore, 18 carries for 74 yards. Rashad Perriman, four catches for 79 yards. Denzel Mims, four for 67. Um, you know, <laughs> Jets recovered two fumbles. They forced four. So the defense is playing a little bit inspired. But, man, why the Jets keep on getting some of these highly televised games is beyond me. They should be buried somewhere always in the noon slot or the 1 p.m. Eastern time slot. Never have them on national television. It's an embarrassment to the NFL. They're setting football back 10 years. Who knows who's calling the plays? Adam Gase is an idiot. And that just about sets up, uh, you know, the Jets going 0-16. Yeah, the Jets are bad very bad that's my hashtag analysis on that uh sam darnold probably gone interested to see where he ends up here um but uh at least they had a quarterback because the next game we're going to talk about uh, a team did not uh have a quarterback and it's a whole complicated situation that we're going to talk about here matt i just want to preface this and i posted this in the group yesterday you ever have a buddy at a bar who's like, oh, I, you know, I played high school football. I could totally take a snap in the NFL or, you know, I could totally throw a touchdown or, you know, I could take a hit. They are lying. They are full of shit. They could not even take a snap. The ball would fall out of their hands and they would shift their pants and they might break their foot and get because they got stepped on by the center. There's no way that any person, any normal human being, yeah, I don't care if you played in high school. I don't care if you played low level college. You're not going to touch these guys in the NFL. They are otherworldly. They are not human. My guy, Kendall Hinton here, he wasn't even good enough to play quarterback at Wake Forest. He played some quarterback at Wake Forest, but was primarily a wide receiver. This is a Division I college football program. He had to be thrown into the situation as an emergency, like in a day in advance, to play for the Broncos. Let me tell you, this guy is a good athlete. He looked good running. Like, he's fast. He looked like at times that he never touched a football before. This guy got thrown into the fire. And for anyone who says that they could, they think they could have success. I just want you to watch this guy play. Cause this guy played football at a high, like semi high level division one program. And he's on an NFL practice squad. He came in there and went one for nine for 13 yards and two picks and ran the ball two times for seven yards. And I would say the fact that he gained 20 yards as a whole in this game was a positive because <laughs> it didn't look very good. And we'll talk about how they got to this point uh, with the Broncos. But I wanted to throw that out there. Stop trying to fool yourself. You can't hit a, you can't hit a professional pitcher. You're not even going to see the baseball. You're, gonna, you're not going to be able to touch those guys. You're not going to make a shot on someone in the NBA. You can never skate with a pro hockey player. The pros on a whole nother level. That's my tangent for this show. Stop telling – like if you have a friend who's an idiot who thinks that they can go pro or they can compete, go watch pros versus Joes. They're not human. It's not, it's not going to happen. Like we all have dreams. We get, I get that. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> like give it up. Uh, watch, watch Kendall Hinton play, and I'm not blaming Kendall Hinton because he got thrown into this situation, and, I mean, it, almost nobody would have been able to, to succeed. And he said, you know, he's grateful for the opportunity. He handled it well. Um, but the Saints – Defense is good enough to, to prevent Tom Brady from throwing any touchdowns and looking very good. And Tom Brady, you know, many consider the greatest quarterback ever. This guy pretty much had no chance. Uh, that's another conversation. I'm not getting into that right now. However, you know, one for nine, 13 yards, two picks is bad, right? Taysom Hill 
9 of 16 for 78 yards. This might have been the worst passing game I've ever watched in my entire life. <laughs> this game was horrible. And, you know, the Jets are bad, blah, blah, blah. The only reason this game is worth watching is to see Kendall Hinton and see if the Broncos can run some sort of wildcat and maybe be interesting. And no, this game was not interesting. And the pathetic part is, Matt, I locked up the Broncos in this game and our three locks. <laughs> this was before I didn't I knew what they had didn't have any quarterbacks, just for the record. And the other lock I had was the Raiders, who got destroyed, obviously. But, you know, the Saints, I'm not taking this as any sort of win for the Saints. They looked terrible. Uh, Latavius Murray, if anyone else, looked better than anyone. 19 carries, 124 yards, two touchdowns. But the Saints, you know, Taysom Hill, not a good quarterback. I know he played well, kind of well against the Falcons. Not good. They need Drew Brees back. They need to get James ready just in case because Taysom Hill, I know he's a good athlete. I know he can run. Um, he had two rushing touchdowns in this game, 10 for 44 on the ground. But – not a good professional quarterback. And at the end of the day, you need a good professional quarterback to win in the playoffs. So that's what concerns me about the Saints. The Broncos, like I said, we're going to touch on that quarterback uh, COVID situation in our news segment. But Kendall Hinton, I feel for you. <laughs> a lot of respect for getting out there and taking a beating because that's really all this was, was a beatdown. Man, just a lot of bad uh, quarterback play this weekend, it felt like. <laughs> But hats off to Hinton for going out there and playing. You know, you go out there and you do the best you can. And Yeah, and I'm not blaming him for it. Uh, he went out there and literally competed his ass off. So credit to him for that. Yep, indeed. So moving on to a team that has lost 10 in a row. It's not good, Bob. <laughs> no, it's not. The Jacksonville Jaguars are now 1-10. Losing to the Cleveland Browns 27-25, to one of our Coach of the Year candidates, Kevin Stefanski, coaching for the Browns. Browns moved to 8-3, and three, and this game, it's basically, if you're looking at it from the Jaguars' perspective, it's the James Robinson show because he ran it for 22, 22 times, 128 yards, and a touchdown with five catches and 31 yards. But a blast from the past of Bears Christmas quarterbacks, Mike Glennon, 20 of 35 for 235 yards, two touchdowns. Why the long side there, Matt? <laughs> Are the Bears still paying him? No, no, thank God. Oh, boy, yeah, yeah, that's a, that is a story, man. More touchdown passes in one game than Nick Foles had in the past three games he played, or the past two games he played. Colin Johnson, four catches for 96 yards and a touchdown. And Tyler Eifert, I didn't know he was still in the league. Three catches for 16 yards and a touchdown. Baker Mayfield, 19 of 29 for 258 yards and two touchdowns. I like how they use them. Like I said, I like what Stefanski does, and I think this team is in the right direction. If they had a real quarterback, it would be kind of scary. Nick Chubb, 19 carries, 144 yards and a touchdown. Kareem Hunt, 10 for 62. Jarvis Landry, best game as you know, in a while for him as a Brown eight catches for 143 yards and a touchdown really led the way there. So Brown's eight and three, they seem to be a lock for the playoffs, Randy. They're probably not going to catch the Steelers, but hell, a hell of a year for Kevin Stefanski. 
They secured their first uh, non-losing season, I believe, in 13 years. So uh, if this podcast finds our friend Ryan Shiner somewhere, I just wanted to let him know to suck it because uh, he criticized me and loving the Browns all offseason. So they may not win a playoff game. They may not be very good against good teams, but I do not care. They're going to end up with 10 wins this year. That's all I care about. All right. Uh, the NFC West is a loaded division, and we talked about how the Rams look good some weeks, look bad some other weeks. This is a week that they looked bad. And uh, this is a little segment that Henry Hamaldo Jr. is looking forward to. But the San Francisco 49ers uh, getting a big win over the Rams, 23-20. to 20, And they kind of own the Rams here. I don't even remember the last time the Rams beat up on the, the Niners or beat the Niners at all. Uh, Jared Goff, 19-31, 198 yards, no touchdowns, two picks. This was just, you know, we talked about Jared Goff, and it's like he's the kind of quarterback where if everything is going right, he plays well. But if one thing goes wrong and if something else goes wrong, he's a mess. And this is one of those games to me that he was a mess. He had two just awful interceptions, one to Richard, the returning Richard Sherman. Um, and I just don't think the Rams offense, and it used to be a good offense. Um, you know, Todd Gurley was probably the big reason why when it was good, but they just don't have, I, they don't have like a great identity to me that they're like, they're kind of soft. They, they're like, let me just, like these little cuts and, and nickel and dime you to death. I, I just, I think they're a little too cute for my liking. They, they have this three headed uh, running back monster that they try to use cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown. Um, they still ran the ball effectively with cam Akers, I should say uh, nine carries for 84 yards. No one else really played well, but as a team, they had 126 rushing yards, um, but the receiving core is hit or miss. We talked about how great woods and cup played against the bucks on Monday night football. This game, not so much seven for 80 for woods, Cup, two for 41. Um, and Woods had 12 targets. Cup had five targets. And this, to me, is just a game where Jared Goff played bad. And <laughs> I, he had a 10.1 QPR. Like, that's not good at all. Uh, and he got outplayed by Nick Mullins. And that's not over great. And Nick Mullins didn't even play good in this game. Uh, Nick Mullins got – and I'll give Nick Mullins this. I watched some of this game. And it seemed like he got smoked a few times as he threw Aaron Donald getting in there. The Rams defensive front is still very good. And the Rams were winning this game late um, or winning this game at some point in the second half. And Nick Mullins kept getting up, taking the hits, getting back up. He was 24, 35, 252 yards. He didn't have a touchdown when he had the pick. Um, but, you know, the, this is to me a Kyle Shanahan a game because he ran the ball effectively. Mostert coming back 16 for 43 and a touchdown. Um, they had 115 yards as a team and they use this is Debo Samuels coming out party. Cause he came back and he had 11 catches for 133 yards on 13 targets. And they get him involved a lot of the running game with like these jet sweeps. This is the first game I think I have seen from him and he really dominated the passing game. So, um, you know, the Rams, came out and they started, they were losing, uh, I believe 20 to three or, or 17 to three at one point, the Rams come back get, get a turnover, uh, go up, you know, uh, they were up 20 to 17, I think. And then the 49ers come back, kick a field goal late with Robbie gold and win the game 23 to 20, they were five and six and have a plus differential and are in last place in their division. The Giants are four and seven with a negative 37 point differential and in first place. So you can see the differences in the, the, the divisions. If, if, you know, Henry, I, I know that we know now that the Niners are not going to be able to play in Santa Clara or wherever it is that they play in California. So maybe why don't you move to the East Coast, 
switch divisions. We'll trade you, you know, the Cowboys, and you guys can have them in the West because they're West anyway, kind of. And then, you know, you could come into the East and you can just win the division. You make the playoffs and you'll see what happens. I think that's a, a fair trade off. So uh, I don't think the NFL will do that. But, Henry, that's my proposal for you. I hope you like it. <laughs> I, I, I am in stunned silence there, Randy. I would say to that, I would love to see the 49ers over any of those NFC East teams. I think it'd be much yeah. more entertaining. And God help the number two seed, whoever that may be, if they get the 49ers, which could be the Seahawks, which I don't think the Seahawks want any piece of that. I think it could be the Packers, which I would be a little nervous about too. Oh, yeah, that that would not – that'd be a rough game. Look at this gift you have to wrap us up here with these games, Matt. Well, I was kind of hoping we could do this together because I, okay. I would have to imagine, Randy – that you were also privileged enough to see the great Patrick Mahomes. I'm very blessed. <laughs> used and abused and just, I mean, that first half, what Tyree Kill did to that secondary of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was amazing. What are your thoughts on how they're able to utilize? Oh, well, let me ask you this first. Was it smart or dumb to single cover Tyree Kill? Well, he had 200 yards in the first quarter, so uh, I know that that corner has had a good year, but I I think it's safe to say that it was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, it was. We 200 yards in a quarter, <laughs> not the game, like in, in the quarter. Yeah, it, it it was a show, and Mahomes was making all the throws. And then you take a look at the other side of the coin. Well, let's just go over Mahomes' stat line, and if anybody wonders why he's the MVP. 37 of 49, 462 yards and two touch, or I'm sorry, three touchdowns. Mahomes does things. And I, well, we kind of talked about the beginning of the show, how he was able to roll out and he just switched hands and just do an incomplete pass. Mm -hmm. His awareness is next level. Like he just does things that I haven't seen quarterbacks do. And I know a lot of people will say, well, Brady's the goat. He's got six Super Bowls or, you know, um, I, 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 for the longest time thought John Elway was the most talented, best quarterback I've ever seen play. Mahomes is better than Elway in every facet of the game. And he's sneaky athletic, four carries for 28 yards. A lot of those were on broken plays, not designed runs. So you see a lot of that from Mahomes. And then just like, Travis Kelsey, eight for 82. Tyree Kill, 13 catches for 269 yards and all three <laughs> touchdowns, Randy. And he backflipped into the end zone for one of them. <laughs> backflipped into the freaking end zone. <laughs> you, you know, I, I, I almost feel like I, I am a Chiefs fan, a Chiefs apologist. I don't need to be a Chiefs apologist. They're fucking 10 and 1. <laughs> They're fine. They don't need an apologist. But when you watch the Chiefs play, it's aesthetically pleasing, like you enjoy watching them. It's like watching the Warriors in, when they got KD. Uh, like they, they, you hated them. Well, I don't hate the Chiefs, but it's almost like you kind of hated the, the Warriors, but you also could not look away. They, they played such pretty basketball. Uh, that's what I kind of related to here. Um, the Chiefs, even when they play bad, they're very entertaining. And I'll say this about Mahomes and he's got this killer instinct to him that Brady had and he's not a dick about it. Like Brady was, and he does things differently than Brady did. So there's a play. And I think it was third and five. Uh, 
they're playing zone. Everyone backs up. They're like, we're not letting you beat us deep. So Mahomes takes off with his feet, runs for the first down. He, he like, there's a linebacker coming on to him and he goes, wait, they don't have any timeouts. I'm not going to run out of bounds. And he slides in bounds to keep the clock running. Like you talk about how Mitch was football stupid. Mahomes is insanely smart and completely has all the, such amazing situational awareness that you would kill for any quarterback to have that mind in that moment to say, let me slide right now. I got the first down. Let me stay in bounds. And then, there's a there's a third down late in this game, and if if the Chiefs don't get it, they have to punt. But the Chiefs the Bucks don't have any timeouts, and uh, it would be like 32 seconds, and the the Bucks would be pinned deep. Then they're at like the midfield. Most teams would run the ball there, knock 40 seconds off the clock, just punt it back, and say good luck. The Chiefs no, they they threw the ball. I think it was to Kelsey, and it was a smart decision. Like it's no not a smart decision for like any other team in the league. Maybe like the the. Seahawks but like most teams run that ball in that situation and play it smart the Chiefs just do whatever they want and it just makes sense because they have the best quarterback in the league by far and one that I think now is running away with the MVP and I don't think it's particularly close anymore um so you mentioned the 462 yards I just want to mention here Matt Tyreek Hill finished 269 yards and literally had 200 of them in the first quarter and Tony Romo for I give him a lot of crap for stuff, but to his point, he was literally on pace to have a thousand receiving yards midway through the first quarter of this game. I don't think anyone realizes how insane that was. Um, and I think, you know, credit to Bruce Arians for fixing that quickly, but my God, Tyree kill, just watch the first quarter of this game. Tyree kill is so dynamic and is so fun to watch. Yeah. And I think, you know, just going back and taking a look at Brady versus Mahomes. So Mahomes, you could tell the play. I, I believe it was um, either Robinson or Hardman who ran the wrong route. It would have been an easy touchdown pass. It, it was right there. Mm-hmm. And you could kind of tell, like, okay, the wide receiver definitely ran. You know, if you would have just turned this way, it's a touchdown. But on Twitter, you know, Mahomes blasts himself saying, man, I can't believe I missed that throw to you. Right. And I could just – and I picture Brady in that moment on the field throwing the biggest bitch ass temper tantrum showing up his wide receiver and that's why i fucking cannot stand brady for a lot of reasons (laughs) but it it makes me love mahomes even more it's just like you know what that's a leader and then everyone travis kelsey is like man i can't believe i missed that pass it would have been a touchdown i suck at quarterback so it's just a really giving team and now let's talk about the bucks because there's a lot a lot going on here randy that there is, you know, in wrestling, they use the term heat when you're not very well liked by the boys in the back and the girls in the back, and you got some issues going on. Yeah. Um, Brady and Arians, yeah, Br- Brady and Arians got some heat, man. I, I, I think there's a bigger issue here, and you hear Arians basically say at the end of the game, you know, Tom's calling the plays, but, you know, those are his plays. Mm-hmm. So it feels like Arians is trying to like, like I'm, I'm, you feel it. This is kind of sick of this shit with Brady. Like he got Antonio Brown. He got Rob Gronkowski. They got all these weapons. And there's a theme here. Ronald Jones, nine carries, 66 yards. Leonard Fournette, three carries, 10 yards. Tom Brady, you know, is obviously a sack. One for negative one yard. So 12 rushing attempts, Randy. It seems like they keep on throwing and throwing. Now, granted, they got down by a lot, but I don't think it was so insurmountable that you start abandoning the run. But Brady, 27 of 41, 
345 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks. And, you know, one of those picks was extremely ugly. And it's just kind of like, man, you know, Brady five years ago would have never made that throw. Yeah, I mean, I'm not as worried about the Bucs as most people. I think this was a brutal stretch of their schedule, but uh, and I think they'll be fine. I think Brady's trying to figure some things out still. I, I think Brady's smart enough to know how this works. I think him and Arians are still figuring things out. I don't think Arians is as patient. I don't think Brady's really that patient, but I do think you're right. There is some heat between them now, but I trust both of them being professionals, being successful in their, their jobs, that they'll figure this out. I, I like this because the Chiefs were up. 20 to nothing I'm pretty sure before halftime and then they went up in half to a 20 to 7 lead and the Bucks made this a game here and they won the Chiefs won 27 to 24 but the Bucks had a chance late you know the Chiefs did their thing offensively where they prevented the Bucks from even getting the ball back but I like that the Bucks did not just get completely housed in this game like I like I expected them to once the Chiefs were up 20 nothing and Tyreek Hill 200 yards and I was like oh man this game's gonna be like 50 to 20 you know this game's gonna be nothing uh they made this a game and the defense you know played well against the chiefs in the second half, only holding them the one touchdown and zero points in the fourth quarter. Um, I think the bucks are a gritty team. However, Brady is very limited. Now uh, he does not take hits. Well, he is very inaccurate. He's inaccurate at moments. There's a lot of miscommunication on routes with his receivers. I think he overthrew Godwin a few times and Evans a few times on routes where I'm like, see the old Brady wouldn't have done that. He's 43. I keep using that as an excuse, but eventually it's going to catch up to them. And ultimately it's probably going to be why that they do not you know, win the Super Bowl. And, you know, they probably get uh, beat up in the playoffs, especially on the road in the wintertime. Brady's got old bones now. Uh, I think it's going to end up hurting him in the end. But, you know, still an effective day for some of their pass catchers. Gronk, six for 106. Chris Godwin, eight for 97. Mike Evans, three for 50 and two touchdowns. So Brady still spreads it around. He's still great at that. They have a ton of talent. Uh, I'm not as worried about the Bucs. They're seven and five with, you know, kind of an easy schedule to end the year. So I expect them to make the playoffs and at least be a team that most teams wouldn't really want to see, but they're also flawed at the same time. I don't know. The Bucs are really interesting to me, Matt. Yeah. I, I think they are in prime position to be a first round exit, depending on where they have to travel, but I'm going to go on a limb here, Randy. Bruce Arians will be fired and Josh McDaniels will be the next Tampa Bay coach. Oh, going into 2021. That would be a mistake. Uh, <laughs> I like Bruce Arians a lot more than I like Josh Daniels. Uh, and yeah, good point on Ricky Velasquez's part in the comments. Uh, Tampa's on a buy now. I think that, you know, came at the perfect time for them uh, to get things right. And, you know, I, I trust that those guys to do so. Uh, all right. Moving on. That's all of the slate of games, except Matt, one of them. Uh, you know, on Thanksgiving, we expected there to be at least one good game in <laughs> on Sunday, on uh, Thanksgiving night. Turns out, no. The Chiefs and, not the Chiefs, the Steelers and Ravens was moved to Sunday and then moved to Monday and then moved to tonight. And we thought we were going to have to get the show over with so we could watch that game. And then, no, they got moved to tomorrow. We're going to get Wednesday night football for the first time at 8 years because of the coronavirus situation. The Ravens have over 20 positive cases in their facility, uh, including Lamar Jackson. So they're going to start our RG three at quarterback tomorrow. Um, I'm not going to preview this game again. We already kind of talked about this game. I just want to say the, the COVID situation, in the NFL continues to get worse and worse as the, uh, the COVID situation gets worse in our country. Um, it's, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of in my mind and I want to get your thoughts thinking that like, 
it's almost time to bubble this up and say every eligible playoff team find a remote location and let's figure this out to end the season because I, I am less and less confident each and every day on an NFL season continuing. However, the NFL seems adamant, like they're going to play all these games regardless. There's so many things that they could do to really kind of help um, alleviate the situation. Uh, a bubble is definitely not out of the question. I, I think it's something that should be considered. I, I think a lot of these teams, um, what, I, um, what we'll talk about with the 49ers having to go somewhere else, but what we see right now, I think, is the is the right time to pull the trigger on the universal bye week? Do two weeks, no football stuff. You know, get let these teams reset. It gives you the fourteen days. Make sure that they're isolated. You know, they're in quarantine. Get, get all this shit out of the system. Deep clean the facilities. All that shit, and then that way, in two weeks' time, it kind of resets everything. The Ravens and Steelers are playing on Monday. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is where it gets crazy because they're playing tomorrow night. Then the Steelers have to play on Monday night. Mm-hmm. Like the, the turnaround on that schedule is nuts. And I think the Ravens are playing on Monday or on Tuesday night next week. I, I, I don't know. Like I have to think about this. I don't know what the schedule is intact for next week. But uh, I'll, I'll break down the schedule in a second. Okay, but I to, have some of the changes that are coming up. Okay, to me, this is like, like you said, either bubble it up or use two universal bye weeks back to back. Just let everyone reset and you know start off with a clean slate. Yeah, I think a week eighteen situation could be in the cards here, uh, and just move the games back a week to try to get everything taken care of here. Uh, and the schedule changes I'll get into now. Bust our rundown quick. Uh, all right, we have Raven Steelers tomorrow at three forty Eastern time, which I work super early in the morning. This is great for me. I'm going to get to watch this whole game and go to bed afterwards. Um, however, the Steelers play the Washington Football Team. They're supposed to be scheduled for Sunday. That game got moved to Monday at five o'clock Eastern time. That means they're playing on Wednesday and now playing on Monday. That's less than you know. That's typically. I guess that's like. You know, if you're playing on Sunday, you play on a Thursday. And then the Ravens-Cowboys, which is scheduled on Thursday for this week. The Cowboys always get Thanksgiving and then the following Thursday. Um, That game is obviously not going to get played Thursday. They can't do games back-to-back days. That game got moved to next Tuesday, December 8th uh, at 8 o'clock. And uh, so that's how that schedule looks like. Those are all still part of the Week 14 games. Now, I'm excited to watch a game on Wednesday and – this game's only at three forty. Do you know why this game's at three? This game is so early, by the way. I, I do not know, Randy. Why? Because Rockefeller Center in New York City always has a marvelous Christmas tree, and they are doing the Christmas tree unveiling. <laughs> NBC is at eight o'clock, <laughs> and they refuse to move that because they want it to be dark, and it's a big thing that people care about. So. New York City, uh, Rockefeller Center. If you've never seen the tree, go check it out. It's great. Uh, maybe not this year with the COVID, but uh, that's why that game gets moved up. And then the only other time I remember a Wednesday game, and this is the, the year the Giants won the Super Bowl, they get opening kickoff game against Dallas. They had to play Wednesday instead of that initial Thursday. Do you remember why? I don't. Because the President Barack Obama was speaking at the Democratic National Convention that Thursday night, and they wanted that to be the solo primetime audience. It was on the same network. So that would be why. Uh, all right. The other COVID situation that happened this week, 
uh, and Leon says that tree is garbage. Don't go see it. Uh, maybe this year it is. I, I don't know. I liked it back, back in the day when I saw it. It's been years, though. Uh, all right. So the reason Kendall Hinton started for the Broncos is because all four of the Broncos quarterbacks was on the COVID-19 reserved list. How does that happen? Well, let's see. Let's break this down. Jeff Driscoll, one of the backup quarterbacks for the, uh, the Denver Broncos, tested positive for COVID-19. And then there was a meeting amongst quarterbacks separate from the facility uh, between Drew Locke, Brett Rippon, and Blake Bortles. And they were seen not wearing masks, being kind of lax on the, the protocols. And they all immediately were exposed to the COVID as soon as, you know, Jeff Driscoll tested positive. To the Broncos' credit, they sent in the video themselves of the quarterbacks being irresponsible. They are all getting fined. Vic Fangio called out all the quarterbacks for making this happen. Everyone wanted this game to be canceled because of the quarterbacks. The same, the, the, the NFL is not going to cancel games based on roster construction. They're going to cancel games if there's potential for larger spread of the virus. Based on contact tracing and all of this stuff, they had that under control. They don't care if you have a quarterback or not. That's up to them. So to me, this I actually kind of like how this was handled. I know that Broncos fans are mad about this, but this is on the players for not taking this seriously. There are clear protocols and guidelines in place for this, and they did not follow them. But this is how we got Kendall Hinton starting. I don't know. This this was crazy to me. Yeah, I don't have an issue with what the NFL did. And if, if you take every precaution that you can take, and this happens, yeah, I, I think the NFL would definitely make accommodations like they have yeah. with the Ravens. This right here is complete irresponsibility. You you know, the players put their team in a terrible position. This is solely mm-hmm. on the quarterbacks. They have to bear the brunt of it. And if I was one of their teammates, I would be pissed. You know, everyone gets to look at them from, a, you know, from a, a position that you have to almost be a leader by default. Mm-hmm. And to do this, it, it tells me that they don't have their quarterback of the future in that room. Yeah, uh, and that's supposed to be a one-week thing. It appears that Locke uh, and Rippon are at least going to be taken off of the list. And Blake Bortles was supposed to be secluded from them anyway, just in case this happened. <laughs> and it turns out he did not do that either. So uh, great job by them. Uh, and to Drew Locke's credit, he owned it. So uh, good on him. But, you know, this is just sort of the reality of this year. You know, anything could happen, and you got to be very diligent in how you handle yourself. So, uh, yeah. But uh, in other news – and Leon, you might want to stick around for this one because this might be the best line segment of the year. Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn done in Detroit, the head coach and GM both canned. Uh, and this needed to happen, especially after that shutout against Carolina and that embarrassing performance on Thanksgiving. Yeah. I mean, it should have happened last year. It should have happened the year before last. I mean, there's been a lot of smoke where there, you know, the fire was always there. Patricia is probably one of the worst head coaches I've ever seen. He demands his players to be on time for meetings, but yet he shows up 10 to 15 minutes late to every single one of them. There's even stories out there where he has no showed meetings. Your head football coach, you know, you can't, I, I always think of this as a leader, you know, and I was told this at a very young age, you know, never ask people to do things that you're not willing to do yourself. Yeah. You know, if you're going to have your team run gassers, then you should be able to be willing to run gassers as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I think at the end of the day, no matter what happens, 
as a leader, you have to not cause friction. You don't need to stir up trouble. You need to be the calming force. I mean, granted, the NFL season is a war of attrition, you know, but it goes fast. It's a really fast-paced one. And when you go through it, you need that coach to be the steadying force, to be like, okay, everything's okay. We're fine. You know, we have the answers to it. And then you see teams like the Bears, when they start running out of answers, the head coach doesn't have it, and now they're going in that death spiral. The Lions have been in a death spiral for the past two and a half years. So I'm glad to see them out of it because really I've been to Detroit. I've been to that stadium. It is nice. I'm not going to lie. It's a nice stadium. Lions fans are actually pretty decent people. I I actually like Lions fans, you know, aside from Packers and uh, Vikings fans. And honestly, Viking fans are kind of the worst. That's a dark, dirty secret. But um, no, I, I, I hope you know, it goes well for the Lions because no team should have to go through the futility that the Lions have experienced with some of the great players they've had. Yeah. um, The problem I have with Patricia is that he's arrogant for no reason. And one thing I don't like is that you have uh, ignorant arrogance and you have just overwhelming amount of confidence for no reason. Um, Matt Patricia every time he gets criticized responds with, well, I had the greatest defensive play in the history of the Super Bowl." Like, okay, one, you didn't, you just happened to be the defensive coordinator. Uh, <laughs> you didn't make the play. Malcolm Butler made the play. Uh, Bill Belichick, I think if anything, I will always credit more for the defensive success of the New England Patriots. And you came to the Detroit Lions and you were terrible. I just want to point out Jim Caldwell was the head coach before Matt Patricia got hired. Uh, he was the head coach for, I don't know, I can't remember, I can't think, I can't find how many years he was the head coach, but he in his tenure was 36 and 28 with a 563 winning percentage. That's pretty good for the Lions. And they made the playoffs a few times. And, and Matt Stafford looked pretty good under him. Under Matt Patricia for the last three years, they are 13 and 29 and one. There is no reason to have this arrogance about your success and lack thereof. And I will never, ever, that will always rub me the wrong way. And if there's burner account garbage is true that you mentioned to me before the show, he should never have another job in the league. He is one of the worst coaches I've ever seen and just clueless about his own, his own self, his own, what, what people think of him. I, I don't think I've ever seen someone so delusional before. Yeah, it's uh, and I we talk about the burner account. Look up Eddie P on Twitter, um, if if you're curious, Leon. It's someone that defends Matt Patricia and throws everyone from Matthew Stafford to Bob Quinn under the bus, and while he is driving it, it is a pretty sickening thing to to read. Yeah, not even his mother loves him that much, that's for sure. Uh, all right. And, you know, this is a lot of uncertainty going forward with the Lions. Uh, Daryl Bevel takes over as interim head coach. Uh, the future, you know, we'll see about Matt Stafford. Maybe he ends up on another team this offseason. Uh, and, you know, this probably needed to happen for Detroit, ultimately. I think that, you know, change is good. And, you know, you needed to get rid of Matt Patricia a long time ago, but it's about time you get a new GM in there. And Leon says uh, – Robert Sala and Jim Harbaugh, uh, or 
yeah, Jim Harbaugh would be the two names already on the list that Lions fans or, you know, people around the organization are linked to. So Salah deserves a job. I'm all for that. Sign Robert Salah. The guy is electric on the sidelines for the 49ers. So I'm all for that. He deserves a job. Uh, I always throw Eric Bieniemy's name out there as well. So uh, he's going to get a job too. All right, moving on. No more Lions talk. Leon, congrats. You got to get the hell away from Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia, get out of our life and your stupid laminated score sheet or your playbook and pencil combination. Uh, a few injuries I want to touch on here. Daniel Jones, Dan Jones, Danny Dimes, Giants quarterback, left the game against the Bengals I mentioned earlier with a what we now know is a strained hamstring. He left, came back, tried to throw a pass, come up hobbling, went down and stood on the sideline the rest of the game and was an obvious pain. They say it's, um, you know, it's severe, but it's only a strain. So I don't really know what that means, but it's unlikely he plays this week. And uh, I would think against Seattle, I would probably just sit him and not try to risk further injury. I've never had a hamstring issue. What do you think? Yeah, actually, funny story. I, um, as I was preparing for my first year of college football, um, I was working out and I strained my hamstring. And it's a slight tear within the muscle of the hamstring. And I took about two weeks off and then I came back and I tore my hamstring. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things. Anytime you have a hamstring injury, it's, I mean, one, it needs to be taken seriously and you don't know how long you could be out for. I would say with a quarterback like Daniel Jones, you need to be realistic about your possibilities on where you're going to end the season. Is it really worth making the playoffs with your current roster? I mean, it's a, it's a nice story, but I, you need to get more talent in there. And if they make the playoffs, they're probably looking at pick 19 or 20s, somewhere in that range, Randy. So, um, you know, hamstrings are nothing to mess with. I, I think it's a two to four week injury at the very best. And I would be shocked if Daniel Jones plays this week. I, I just, I, there's no way. Yeah. I think I would proceed on the side of caution because you're playing the Seahawks and the offense hasn't scored more than 20 points. I think more than twice all season. Uh, I, or maybe three times I would say ben, like, you know, sit in this week, Cole McCoy is a fine backup. He can come in and he'll be okay. Let him rest it. Cause if he comes in and plays, you get blown up by Seattle and if he makes it worse. You're definitely not getting him back the rest of the season. This way, I think if it heals and he feels better, you know, you know, shoot up a little bit of something before the game and you, you play through it. Uh, this is how these things go, to be honest with you. I think a lot of people don't realize how much time, like quarter zone use, is used a lot with these guys. Um, and then you hope, you know, three of the last four games are at home and you hope Daniel Jones can fight through it. Because if he plays and it makes it worse, I say the Giants, you know, they probably shouldn't have a chance now and they do. Uh, if he's not out there, I think it gets a lot worse uh, for their chances. Uh, another quarterback, Tua Tungamailoa, did not play this week because of a thumb injury. I think if you did not watch that game because it's the Jets, I don't blame you. But Ryan Fitzpatrick played, and Tua is currently day-to-day still with that thumb injury. It's hard to throw a football with a thumb problem, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't imagine. I mean, if your thumb ain't feeling right, the amount of problems you're going to have throwing the football would be a lot. So. It's interesting with the benching that happened and now the thumb injury. I think the thumb injury may have been more to do with, I want to know more about it. Was the thumb hurt when he was playing so poorly? Because maybe that explains it. Yep. I think that might've been, but I'm I'm surprised that he went to such lengths to say, Hey, I was making an example of him too. So, well, you know, it's uh, something that Brian Flores has to deal with and, you know, don't want to risk further injury with Tua. So, uh, all right. And then the last injury I want to touch on, Josh Jacobs, very important player for the Oakland, Oakland, Iowa quarter to the thing. Uh, Vegas Raiders uh, is 
uh, has a, and I guess they're not really severe ankle sprain, but they're saying it's pretty serious and he could miss week 13. I've had several ankle sprains on the same ankle. It never really goes away. It always just kind of lingers. And when you're running back and you're cutting and you're shifting, uh, it's, you know, probably pretty painful. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's Jacobs is so integral to what the Raiders have to do. Uh, you know, let Jacobs rest. I mean, we're getting to the point where now it's like a lot of teams are getting beat up. This is the attrition part of the season. Mm-hmm. So the, the Raiders are kind of on that fringe playoff thing. So you definitely want a healthy Jacobs. But, yeah, we'll let him rest it because you don't want him injuring that thing any further. Yep. Uh, all right, Matt. So now it is the Audible Fantasy Update segment of the week. We got one week left in the fantasy football season. Where do we stand now in the 12-team league? Hold on. Before you get to that, Ricky Velasquez says the Giants won the Super Bowl with the backup in 1986. It was 1990, actually, with Jeff Hosteller. I just want to throw that out there. Your the floor is yours. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> that is uh, a stat I don't really care about. But anyway, so – We're kind of in a weird spot here, Randy, because our current league this week is still kind of active because we have the problem and Steelers tomorrow. My game's already decided I lost to Kevin Koop, but I'm still in first place. It looks like I have locked up the number two seed, so I will be cruising into the playoffs. You know, no issues there as the second seed. But, you know, I have to give a special shout out. Because in our league, it's hard to score points of a certain magnitude. But Felipe Melicio puts up 209.74 points. And just to give a couple of, you know, he had Justin Herbert, 16.44. Not great. Not bad. Josh Jacobs, 3.9 points. But here's where it gets big, Randy. Antonio Gibson, 34.1 points. Tyree Kill, 51.4. Amari Cooper, 20.2. Uh, T. Higgins at 12.9. TJ Hawkinson, 11.4. James Robinson, 24.4. The Green Bay defense put up a really respectable 14 points. And Young Koo for the Atlanta Falcons, the place kicker five for five on field goals, put up 21 points. So just an all out showing by Felipe Melicio's team cruising to a win for sure. So we have to give props there. Corey Decker has, is going to lose. Um, All the players have played in his game. He lost to our guy, um, Christopher Hopper, 130.5 to 110.8. Like I said, I lost um, Little Giants. Stephen Furlong beat Ryan Shiner. And this game will be over, too, because Lamar Jackson is out. Chase Claypool is in for Stephen. Ryan has Lamar Jackson out. So it's 116 to 91. That game has wrapped up. And EJ is cruising to a possible win. But that game is still to be decided because Fami who um, has 73 points, has Hollywood Brown and Eric Ebron to go still. So he's only down by 23 points. Yeah, uh, if you play in an ESPN fantasy league like we do, tomorrow's game still counts 
for week 12. So the week is not over and waivers got pushed back a day and the waivers were processed back a day, a week, uh, a day later. So a uh, very weird week, but uh, the NFL is making it work somehow. And ESPN, I don't know how it is in other leagues. I kind of like they included it in this week because I think most people would have felt screwed if you had any Ravens or Steelers and didn't get to replace them. So, uh, all right. And the 10 teamer, Matt, you, you just totally buried me here uh, with both of us having no players left to play. You beat me 135 to 115. And to be honest with you, uh, this point of the season, I'm in six leagues. I, I rank which ones I care about the least. And at this point, uh, I'm four and seven. I, I saw that Julio Jones was out and it didn't process in my mind to check to see if he was still in my lineup. Why wouldn't he have been in my lineup? It's Julio Jones. Thus, Julio Jones stayed in my lineup and got me zero points. So uh, that shows you where I am there. You improved to five and six and a third, and you're still alive, my friend. You went out. You have a real chance at the playoffs here. Uh, and we have Casey Todd Neal with two players left to play uh, and Brett Sanchez going with two players left to play. He's up. Casey's up 72 to 67. Uh, Aiden Schrader is currently losing by uh, 25 points uh, to our friend Ricky Velasquez, um, who's having a great year here. He's eight and three in first place. He has one player. No, uh, double check. Yeah, uh, Aiden Schrader has one player left, but it's not looking good for him. He's a, he's not projected to catch up to Ricky there. Uh, Danny Dimes, 175 points. My guess is he had Tyreek Hill. No, he had Antonio Gibson and Will Fuller and James Robinson uh, as his top three scorers. He had 175. He's beaten up on Jacob Anthony Moses to 83. Uh, poor Jacob. Uh, tough going here, my friend. It looks like he's going to be bounced from the playoffs. Uh, and then Mac Attack. Uh, Losing by 20 to Anthony, my friend Anthony and White Dolphy, by 20 or 30 points, I should say. But uh, McAtex does two players left to play. That one's going to come down to it tomorrow. All right, Matt. Uh, I know you're not one to give much fantasy advice, but we have one week left in the regular season. You're either ready for it or you're not ready for it. So let's see. After this week, you got one week in the news playoff time. Any players you're looking at in particular for uh, maybe a late season boost and a playoff boost? Uh, you know, I'm going to have to look for Will Fuller's replacement. Uh, Auto- mm-hmm. Automatically is going to move up. Kenny Stills. Oh, I forgot to mention that. We should have mentioned that earlier. I apologize. Yeah, well, you know, Will Fuller's out for the rest of the season, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so if he's on your fantasy team, you are in trouble. Mm-hmm. You need to find a replacement. ASAP. <clears throat> PED suspension. Him and Bradley Roby both on the Texans, by the way. I had that in the rundown. I skipped right over it. I apologize. Yep. Well, that's okay, Randy, because let's tell our people, if you have Will Fuller, go pick up Kenny Stills. Yeah. Um, wait, Kenny Stills, he's still on the team? I don't want to give these people misleading information. Oh, I don't know. I, I can't keep track of the Houston Texans with Bill O'Brien's uh, wonderful trades. Yeah, Kenny Stills was placed on waivers, so don't pick up Kenny Stills. <laughs> well, yes, pick up Kenny Stills, especially if I'm playing you. <laughs> Well, Kenny Stills is cleared waiver, so he could get picked up. And if he gets picked up by a team, then maybe pick up Kenny Stills. But don't pick him up because he's on Houston. Uh, <laughs> Brandon Cooks, Duke Johnson, Kiki Kuti. Yeah, yeah, one of those guys. Uh, all right, I'm going to run through a couple position groups here. Uh, Kirk Cousins played pretty well in the last couple of weeks. He gets the Jags if you need a quarterback. Uh, if you have, you know, maybe Tom Brady on a bye. Uh 
despite Chris Carson coming back, Carlos Hyde still has value in the Seattle Seahawks. If he's available in your league, I would pick him up if you need a running back. They get the Giants this week. Uh, and the, my favorite running back to pick up this week, and it's strictly because of how ineffective Alvin Kamara has been on the Saints since Taysom Hill took over is Latavius Murray. He gets a lot of love, and he's very effective when he plays. I'd pick up Latavius Murray if I were you. Uh, wide receivers, Gabriel Davis had a nice game for Buffalo. I don't know if it's sustainable or not, but it might, might be worth a look. Uh, and tight ends, I got nothing for you. Uh, Dalton Schultz, somehow, if he's available, I, I would take a look at because uh, he's decent for Dallas. But uh, it's slim pickings here for tight ends. <laughs> There's not a lot of – maybe Richard Rodgers for Philly, but Zach Ertz is coming back soon. So I would maybe hold off on that too. So uh, if you're about to make the playoffs and you need some players, good luck because it is uh, – it's, it's almost quitting time for fantasy for a lot of us. All right, Matt, uh, it is almost time to say goodbye. Why don't you tell the folks about all the shows we have under our Life Group umbrella? All right, we have to step back on Wednesday. Every other Wednesday, I, I would have to ask if they're airing. So, Leon or Jacob, if you guys are out there, are, are you guys running a show on Wednesday? If not, it will be next Wednesday, um, December 9th. Um, NBA season's coming up on us quick. Free agency's out there. A lot of moves being made. Draft's already done. Really good stuff. Then Friday, the Audible's back with our week, I, I, I don't even know, week 13 preview and what kind of mess that's going to be. Um, you know, th there's no Thursday night football game, so nothing to review on that, just some predictions. Yep. Uh, Jacob got back to us. They will be airing on the 9th next Wednesday, not this Wednesday. Uh, Sunday, Total Basis Podcast with Felipe Melicio and Sean Connor Flannery. Baseball hot stove season's kind of picking up. Virtual GM meetings. Don't miss mm -hmm. that. Total Basis podcast with those two. And Dong City with Vince Mercandetti and Henry Maldonado Jr. Always good stuff for baseball. And like I said, some moves will be made. Some things will happen. The Mets probably won't sign anyone. And we can all rest easy. Yeah, and don't forget, we will be back on Friday. Uh, and... We're looking forward to that. But uh, next Wednesday's show for the uh, for the step back, NBA is coming back on the 22nd. So looking forward to seeing some previews from them and excited to have basketball back. It's such a quick turnaround. It feels like the Lakers won just yesterday. So uh, it's going to be a quick title defense for my guys in the purple and gold. Uh, all right. Well, that does it for this episode of Football Life Presents the Audible. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, whether you're on Facebook Live, on YouTube, any of the audio-only platforms. We appreciate it. So uh, on behalf of Matt Bushnell, my name is Randy Hammond. This has been The Audible. We'll see you guys on Friday.